Welcome to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. We've been dealing with this starting since Monday. We've been talking about these seven um, really elements that if you'll make them habits, it will cause never-ending breakthrough in your life. No question about it. If you will make these seven elements habits in your life, they will produce never-ending breakthrough uh, in your life. And that's really God's plan for his, his children. It's not ups and downs. It's not diminishing one year, increasing the next year. You're called to steadily increase in Jesus' name. And so in the first day on Monday, we dealt with three elements. We got through three elements that day. But then on Tuesday, we only got through praise. And there was so much to say on the power of praise that we took the entire uh, day to talk about it. And so uh, it's very important that you go back. If you haven't heard those yet, go back and, uh, and listen to that. And then yesterday, uh, we continued on. Today, we're going to uh, cover another one of those elements, and tomorrow we'll finish it out. But I want to deal with this. This is, this is really the uh, sixth element that we're, that we're dealing with today. This is the sixth element, and we're talking about the power of impartation. The power of impartation. It's very, very important to understand this, and almost nobody does. That's the thing. Almost nobody does. And so the reason I say that is because there's Pentecostal denominations that were even teaching against impartation, teaching against it. And so um, on the first day, we covered um, humility, we covered holiness, and we covered prayer. That was on day one, humility, holiness, and prayer, those three elements. On Tuesday, we covered the power of praise. And then uh, yesterday, we covered the power of the word, the word, ingesting the word. Today, the power of impartation. Uh, And that's why my mother-in-law said they need to read your book further faster. That's why I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to write that book uh, further faster. It's based on the power of impartation, the power of impartation. And um, when I was like, well, Lord, you know, a lot of people don't they, they don't understand even how impartation functions. I said, Lord, give me a, a simple way. Give me a simple way to explain to them and illustrate to them how impartation functions. And um, the Lord said, use the story when you were in the pool with your daughters. And many of you have heard me t- tell that story. When we first moved to Florida, uh, we were in the pool, me and Maddie in Brooklyn. And, um, and, and, and they're so competitive. And so Maddie was wanting to race and race and race, and she, she never lets up. She, she beats her sister, her little sister, every time. Of course, Maddie was a much better swimmer back then. Uh, Brooklyn was little. She was real little. Uh, and so Brooklyn was getting frustrated. You know, she's cheating, you know, everything kids say when, they get, when they're getting beat. And uh, Maddie was just a, a better swimmer, a faster swimmer. And so I said, okay, Brooklyn, well, let's do, let's do one more race. And uh, Maddie was all ready to go. She got up on the wall one more time. She was like, let's do it. And I, I gave Brooklyn a wink and got behind her. 
And uh, I said, three, two, one, go. And Maddie kicked off. She's swimming under the water, kicking with everything she's got. Well, I picked Brooklyn up and I threw her through the air <laughs> in the pool. I mean, launched her with all the strength I had. Threw her way out past uh, where Maddie was already swimming. And she landed maybe half to three quarters away down the pool. And she started swimming and kicking with everything she had. Maddie came up out of the water and saw her sister ahead of her. And it was conf- you could see she was confused by how did she get up there? How did she get past me? And Brooklyn swam and swam and swam until she got to the end of the pool first and won the race. And, uh, you know, Maddie, she's scolding me at that point. She realized Daddy cheated. But really what I did uh, was I imparted strength to my daughter. Impartation. I imparted my strength into her, my force, my momentum uh, into her. Why? So she could go further faster. Uh, In her own strength, she couldn't do that. In her own strength, she couldn't win that race. But with imparted strength, with imparted force, imparted momentum, she, she was able to win the race. And that's what I'm talking about. Because that is God's desire uh, and it's his plan for promotion in the kingdom of God. It's not God's plan for people to uh, have to start every generation at the ground floor. What a frustrating place that would be, that every generation of your family would have to start at the ground floor, learning everything over again. Learn All the things you learned as a parent, your kids would have to just relearn from scratch instead of you being able to explain it to them, show them how to do it. All the mistakes, the trial and error, however you did it, you can just show them the easy way to get it done. And then as uh, when they have their own children, they'll have learned even more on top of what you've shown them. And then they'll be able to take their children even further than they went. It's something that our uh, Bishop Pastor uh, Rick Thomas, Bishop Rick Thomas has said, and he explains it this way. He said, now my ceiling will be your floor. My ceiling will be your floor. What does that mean? That all of the years of faithfulness that the previous generation have produced, all the years of diligence that the previous generation produced, they will be able to impart that or give that to the next generation who will then be able to start where they left off. They'll be able to start where the other generation left off. So think about this. Can you imagine, and I wrote this in the book further faster, can you imagine if every generation of scientists just burnt all their research so that only they had it, only their generation had it, but the next generation would have to discover it all over again. That would be insane. Every generation is building on the technology and development of the previous generation. And I use the example in the book uh, of the iPhone. You know, when, when the iPhone came out in 2007, it blew people's minds. Nobody had ever seen a product like that. I can remember the buzz. I can remember watching the live stream and the keynote where they announced it. And everybody was blown away by the technology. But here's the thing. Although Apple uh, produced the iPhone, one of the things that it's important to remember is that they did not produce or invent all of the elements of technology that make up the iPhone, right? So if you were to look at it, we know there's a microchip inside. It's a mini computer. But Apple did not invent the microchip. There's a camera on the back. 
but Apple did not invent cameras, right? There's a touch screen on the front, but Apple did not invent touch screens. There's cellular technology built in so you can make calls, but Apple did not invent cellular technology. You can go through the whole phone and all of the things that make it up. Now they combined all of those things to create a greater product, but notice what they did. They benefited from previous technology that others had developed and combined it to create something new. What is that? Well, that's impartation. They were given that technology because someone else developed it and then they used it for another greater purpose. And that's how it works. We should build on what the previous generation has done. You shouldn't have to start where your parents started. Your kids shouldn't have to start where your parents started. Every generation in the body of Christ should increase greater, greater, greater. And so here's the deal. I was listening to Bishop Oyedepo teach one time and he was talking about that. Every generation should get greater than the previous generation. And here's the thing, when you think of it that way, the whatever you got by grit, the next generation should get by gift. Think about that. Whatever you had to get by grit, by work, by experience, by trial and error, you got it by grit, but the next generation should get it by gift, right? Because God does not want to teach using destruction. God wants to teach using instruction. I'm going to say that again because it's helpful to peop for people to understand this. God does not want people to have to learn by destruction. He wants people to learn by instruction, right? By instruction, to be able to use wisdom. I receive wisdom from the previous generation. I receive, that's a form of impartation, imparted wisdom. Well, you didn't have to go out and learn that on your own. Someone else learned it and then told you. That's imparted wisdom. You can have imparted wisdom, imparted revelation. You can have imparted anointing, imparted strength. Even spiritual gifts can be imparted. In fact, the apostle Paul said and wrote in Romans chapter one and verse number 11, if you're taking notes, you can put that down. Romans 1, 11, uh, and I'll read it to you. Paul, now remember the church in Rome had not yet had any apostolic visits. None, no, no apostle had visited the church in Rome at this point. And Paul wanted to go to the church in Rome, but he was delayed. But notice this, uh, in Romans 1 and verse 11, Paul writes this, I long to see you, talking about the Christians in the church in Rome, I long to see you, why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Hallelujah. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So it's, it's possible to impart spiritual gifts. It's, it's possible to impart faith. Hallelujah. I've had uh, preachers, you think about this. Why would you have to take a whole, for example, I'll give you a, a, an example from this book that I wrote. Now, you have two options, right? You can go and do all of the uh, years of study that I've done on fasting, listen to all the messages I've list, listened to on fasting. You could then go do all the research and the reading. I read every book I could get my hands on regarding fasting and prayer. You could go read those books too. 
You could do all the research from the scriptures and all the things that the Bible says about fasting and prayer. And you could go and do all of those. And it took, it took years to listen to all those messages and then read all those books and then go through the Bible. It's been a lifetime of uh, constant study. But the other thing you could do is just read this book. And here's 250 some, or what is this? 200, yeah, 250 pages of uh, acquired and collected and organized knowledge and revelation on the subject of fasting. That's a good example. Because of course you could go do all the research I did. Of course you could read the Bible and go through all those hours of Bible study and listen to all those messages and all that stuff. You could do all that. But wouldn't you rather read the book that's already been written all of those things collected, all of that, all of those revelations organized, all of that set for you to receive it easily and quickly. Well, of course you would. That's the whole reason we buy books and read books and listen to people that have the, the experience and the knowledge, because what they're doing is imparting wisdom to you so that you don't have to spend 200 hours doing all the things they did. For some, it's much more than that. Hours and hours gaining all the same knowledge. And many times you're not going to have the same revelations that others have. But that's what's so powerful. You know, I picked up Bishop David Oyedepo's book, Understanding Financial Prosperity. And it's like 400, 500 pages of revelation that God's given him over decades on the subject of prosperity. Now, of course, I can go do all my own study on that subject. But why would I not make use of of what the men of God have done, what the women of God have done over the years. Do you know what changed his life in the line of prosperity? It was Gloria Copeland's book, God's Will for You is Prosperity, and it changed his life. Well, what happened? He read what she had collected and studied and written. You see how that works. And so impartation's powerful. You can impart spiritual gifts and faith and wisdom and revelation, and, and these things change you. These things change you. You know, it's important who you're connected with. It's important who you're connected to. Put that in the comments. It's important who you're connected to. Or if there's any grammatical Nazis out there today, it's important to whom you're connected. <laughs> Don't you dare end that sentence in a preposition. It is important to whom you're connected or with whom you're connected. It's very important because who surrounds you will determine what you hear. It'll determine the confession that's constantly going into your ears. You know, they've already shown this. I'm sure there's plenty of studies that have been on, done on it, and you've heard it, I'm sure, a hundred times. But you become the average of the five people that you hang around the most. You become the average. People hang together. They buy the same type of cars. They work at the same type of places. They eat at the same type of restaurants. They have the same type of possessions. They do the same type of hobbies. They go to the same type of... It's very important because if you want to grow, then you have to put yourself in the, in the presence of people that are beyond where you are. If you want to see increase, if you want to see... You've got to go and grow around people who are far beyond where you are. So important, so important. The disciple, the Bible says, is not greater than the master. The disciple is not greater than the master. We need people in our lives that are beyond where we are and where they are where we wanna be. No question about that. So I have people in my life, I don't listen to everybody, but I listen to people that have obtained the promises of God 
They're standing in a place that's where I want to be in my ministry, with my family, right? I want, that's what I want. I want to be around people that are where I'm going, not where I am, where I'm going. That's why I'm not trying to find people that are doing far less than me and say, what do you think I should do next? They don't know. They've not even done anything. And so I encourage people with this phrase often, and I want to encourage you with it today again. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. Never take constructive criticism from someone who has never constructed anything. (laughs) That sounds simple. But I mean, when I got that revelation, it shook me up. You know why? Everybody's got an opinion on what you're doing. Everybody's got an opinion about how you should do it. But don't ever take constructive criticism from somebody who's never constructed anything. If they've never built anything themselves, why are they telling you how to build something? Amen. If they've never built anything, you know, I can't imagine going into a hospital and walking to the, you know, to the surgery floor and calling a few of the surgeons over and say, sit down, let me talk to you a little bit. I want to give you some advice on how to do some surgeries, but in a better way. They're going to look at me like I'm nuts. I'm not a surgeon. I've never done one surgery. And I don't get offended when I go to a hospital, maybe on hospital visitation for somebody that's there, and no surgeons ask me to perform a surgery. That's funny, because there are people in church that get offended their pastor never asked them to preach. It happened at our church one time back in Virginia Beach where my uncle, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth, pastors. There was somebody that came in the office when I was still on staff, and they wanted to meet with pastor, and I was in the meeting, and they were offended. They were angry because Pastor Terry, you know, we've been going to this church for like five years, and you've never once asked me to preach on Sunday morning. And my uncle just said, well, did you go to Bible school? No. Well, have you prepared yourself for ministry? No. I work a secular job. This is my career. Okay, well, then why are you upset that you've never prepared yourself for ministry? You didn't study for ministry. You're not in, you never went to Bible school. And somehow you think that someone should ask you to preach on a Sunday morning. That's like me going into a hospital and being upset with them. I'm just, you know, I've been coming to this hospital for 10 years and nobody's once asked me to perform a surgery. It's like, yes, and no one's going to. And nobody's going to because you're not in position to perform a surgery. Don't take constructive criticism from people who have never constructed anything. It's a foolish thing to do. And so here's the thing. There's people that literally, they let let those people's um, criticism discourage them. They let people's criticism discourage them. Well, he didn't think I did. He didn't think I should be doing that. Who cares what he or she thought? Who cares what their opinion was? Have they ever done it? No. Okay. Then who cares about their opinion? Do you honestly think when there's people, you know, like if I go back to like someone like Tom Brady, you know, who, who, who arguably might be the greatest quarterback that ever lived. And I, I, I'm not a, who's he played for now? Tampa Bay. I'm not a Tampa Bay fan. I'm not a, a Patriots fan. But um, let me just say, maybe the greatest quarterback that ever lived. And you think he cares if somebody comes up to him that's never been a quarterback in the NFL and says like, well, you know, I I just don't think you did that right. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. This is a guy that's got coaches around him. This is a guy that's watching game tape. This is a guy that's honed his craft. 
Do you think he's mad? Do you think it would upset him if there was some overweight dude and a wife beater sitting in a recliner eating nachos that was like, Tom Brady, you suck. I don't think you should. It's like, you don't care. Who are you? I mean, you couldn't even get on the field, let alone give me any kind of criticism, right? And that's not pride, that's called wisdom. So you, you must be really prideful that nobody can tell you anything. No, no, people can tell me things, but they have to be qualified to tell me those things, right? That, that's a big, let me help you with this. This is part of the, the power of impartation. Understand something, it's not pride. It's not pride to identify when someone is out of position to instruct you. That's not pride, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Because can you imagine the damage that would be caused if you just let everyone instruct you? Can you imagine if, my, if I had to go in for a surgery and my surgeon was allowing a plumber to instruct him on the surgery? Here's what I think you should do. Now, see, in my line of work, we use a wrench. So I think you should use a wrench on his spleen. It's like, no, please don't listen to the plumber. <laughs> please. I am begging you from the table. Do not listen to the plumber. Do not take his advice regarding this surgery. There are just people that are just not qualified to give you instruction. And it's not pride. It's not pride to identify that. It's wisdom to identify that. Now, you don't have to react to them in pride when they try to do that. You can just smile and let it go in one ear and out the other. You can just smile and disregard everything they have to say about the subject, knowing you've never done what I'm doing, you, you've never been where I want to go, and you don't have the qualifications to instruct me in this area. But then, on the other side of that, get this in your spirit, there are those who are qualified to instruct you and to give you wisdom, and to give you direction, and to correct you when necessary. There are those. And those are the ones who have been faithful, that are doing what you're supposed to be doing, but they're far beyond you in what you're supposed to be doing. And so, what can we do? What can we do? We can watch and listen to them and receive so that we don't have to find out for ourselves over 20 years of living how to do it properly. We can just, by humility, receive instruction, receive impartation, right? So I want you to see this. Uh, in the book of Philemon, right before Hebrews, one chapter, it's not a long letter, very short letter, Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon uh, regarding not just Philemon's faith and his love, but also for this man whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus, which this is a really ironic thing if you study the Bible because Onesimus' name means useful. That's what his name means, literally, useful. However, if you read what Paul wrote to Philemon, he says this in the 10th verse of this letter, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Former, now look at this verse 11, very funny. Formerly, he was useless to you. <laughs> so Paul just identifies right from the beginning. Onesimus was useless. No questions about it, no qualms. No. Uh, Philemon chapter uh, 1, verses 10 and 11. Philemon, uh, Paul says, Onesimus was useless. We're not we're going to beat around the bush. He was useless. Now that's ironic, isn't it? Because Onesimus' name means useful. 
So in his life, he was not living up to his name. He was not living up to his potential. So what's the solution? Because he was useless to Philemon, but uh, Paul goes on to say in the 11th verse, but now, look at this, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me, to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Look, look at this now. Verse 10 tells us what took him from useless to useful. Please get this in your spirit today. What took Onesimus from being useless to useful? Verse 10 tells us, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So there it is. There it is. That's what took Onesimus from useless to useful. First of all, <laughs> Onesimus was not Paul's uh, child by birth. He wasn't his uh, natural father. So what is, uh, what is Paul saying here? I became his spiritual father. He became my child or my disciple. I became his spiritual father while I was in prison. And because, isn't that interesting, Bethany? And because... I became his spiritual father, and because he became my child, which means that Onesimus was willing to listen to Paul. Onesimus was willing to receive from Paul. He said, because he became my child and I became his father while I was in prison, I took him from a place of uselessness to a place of usefulness. Why? He was able to impart to him. He was able to impart to him. We don't know everything that Paul imparted, but obviously he imparted wisdom. And it's very possible, like he said to the Romans, that he imparted spiritual gifts to strengthen Onesimus. It's very possible. Very possible. And he said, so now I'm sending him back to you and sending my very heart. Right? Sending my very heart. So there was a connection there. That impartation caused him to love Onesimus. And I think a lot of that too, you look at it, is because of his uh, willingness to receive from Paul. And he obviously did because he changed. He changed drastically, went from one end of the spectrum to the other very quickly. And he said, now he lives up to his name. Now I'm sending him back to be a blessing to you. He wasn't a blessing to you before, but now he's going to be a blessing to you. So impartation makes you a blessing to your generation. Put that in the comments impartation makes me a blessing to my generation. Type it in. Impartation makes me a blessing to my generation. I think I'm going to, I'm going to have to make this into a book at some point because people need to, this whole, how to position your uh, self for a life of breakthroughs. People need to hear this. It's not taught. I'm just telling you, it's not taught in our churches. It's not even taught that it's possible to live a life of breakthroughs and have constant breakthroughs, but you can. If you do what the Bible says, you can. The Bible's clear. Impartation makes me a blessing to my generation. Welcome, Morris. I'm glad you're here. That's exactly right. Impartation makes me a blessing to my generation. I thank God. You know what's amazing is people may, may think it's not fair you know, that God, uh, but, but, you know, I, I, I hear people say it. 
You know, I used to have people come up to me. Doors have opened. I mean, it, it's really a, a miracle how things happened for this ministry from the very beginning. And, uh, pe- you know, people can say, well, you know, you're, you're, only, you're only a preacher. You only have opportunities because your dad's a preacher. You only have opportunities because your grandfather's a preacher in your family. But I'm going to tell you something. That might open a door for you. But once that door is open, you better be anointed. You better have the goods or it only opens once and you'll never be back anywhere. Uh, and that's the truth. And so, but I can also tell you this. I am a product of impartation and it's a powerful thing, but in multiple ways, I'm I'm a product of impartation, multiple ways. First of all, through my family, my grandfather, faithful to the Lord, 62 years. That's right, Jenna. And it has happened quickly. My grandfather being faithful to the Lord as a minister for 62 years, had four sons that are all still alive and all still preaching faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ, my father and his three brothers, Tim, Tiff, and Terry. And all of them have remained faithful to the kingdom, to the Lord, preaching the gospel. And now all of their children, all of them, in the ministry doing something, the ones that are old enough. And then there's younger ones that are, uh, that's their desire. And now the grandchildren with a desire. So that's the fourth generation now coming up. That is impartation and legacy Uh, from faithfulness. Just me personally through my grandfather and father, I'm now operating on over 100 years of faithfulness, over 100 years of impartation. But then I look at the line where my dad stepped into impartation and there was a man named A.A. Allen, powerful revivalist, miracle minister during the Voice of Healing revival after World War II, put up his tent all over this nation, powerful ministry, And then he imparted to his next generation, his spiritual son, R.W. Shambach. And R.W. Shambach, same thing. Powerful ministry, miracle ministry, deliverance ministry, revivalist, preached all over the world, set up his tent all over the United States. And then my father sat under Brother Shambach for decades and received like a spiritual son and received impartation. And that same miracle ministry, that same deliverance ministry, that same revivalism, is hitting and has hit for 46, 47 years of my father's ministry. And so through that line of impartation, it's powerful to see how it replicates, how it replicates. And then another line of impartation has been powerful because the Lord spoke to me and told me to go to uh, Rama Bible Training Center where Brother Kenneth Hagin was the president and launched that school. And I was able to sit and receive impartation from that vein uh, and it's, it's, I'm just telling you these things, having hands laid upon you, receiving the teaching, all these different things that happen, it brings impartation and it changes your life. It changes your life. It changes everything. Now I'm going to show you something. I'll show you something powerful regarding impartation. Um, it even changes how the enemy responds to you. This blows people's minds. When you have impartation, it even changes how the enemy responds to you. Uh, Bethany asked the question, why do many think God wants us to do everything the hard way, having to earn it? 
He wants a strong, powerful army on this earth. Why wouldn't he create spiritual pathways that expedite the process? And that's the exact point that I made in the book Further Faster, Bethany, that why would God want to slow his plan down while everybody in every generation learns it from scratch? That's the point. He wants to use the power of impartation to expedite the process. In fact, um, uh, that's, that's part of what, why I wrote the, the subtitle of the book the way that I did. How God accelerates your purpose through the force of impartation. That's why. God wants to do a quick work. God doesn't have to want to wait 40 years for everybody to uh, learn it from scratch before he can use them at, the full, at, at, the, at a full measure, full level. But I want you to see this. Um, when you receive impartation, it even changes the way that you see victory come to you. It even changes the way that the enemy responds to you. I'm going to show you that from the scripture. Um, Acts uh, chapter 19 versus Acts chapter 16. I want you to see this. First, let's look at Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. It changes the way even the enemy responds to you. Look at Acts 19, verse 11. The Bible says this, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Now look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord. Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt upon them, mastered all of them, <laughs> and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> so here's an interesting story because these were Jewish exorcists, which means they had cast out other demons before. They'd cast out other demons, but here they came in contact with a, a, a demon possessed man and they had no power. In fact, the demons spoke out to those exorcists and said, hold on, who are you? Who are you talking about? Yes, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Okay, I know Jesus and I know Paul. I don't know you. They had no imparted authority. They had no imparted uh, power to cast that demon out. In fact, the demon mastered them, the Bible says, and beat them and sent them out of the house naked. That means the, the demon-possessed man not just beat them, stripped their clothes off till they were naked, and beat them, and le they left wounded and naked. That's a rough position to be in, wounded and naked. It's like that television show that was on TV, Naked and Afraid. I'm sure that was the first season right there, Acts 19. That was the first season of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> Wasn't that a show? That was the title of a show, right? Naked and Afraid? I think it was. <laughs> That's the first season of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> Was, was the seven sons. 
Acts 19 and 11, it goes down through verses 14 or 15. Uh, naked, naked and afraid. You get beat by a demon, wounded, and then stripped your clothes off and sent you out of the house. Let me tell you, for those of us that are operating the power of the Holy Ghost, that'll never be the story. Because demons bow at the name of Jesus and they submit under the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, now compare that story with Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Look at this. Uh, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed. You know, you can be anointed and annoyed at the same time. You can be anointed annoyed. Meaning you can be annoyed in the anointing. I've had that happen to me many, many times. Something will be going on and I can sense it in my spirit even while I'm preaching and it'll annoy my spirit, it'll annoy my faith and I'll start to preach against it right there and then. It'll annoy my spirit and it'll annoy my faith and I got that, I believe, through impartation because I've watched these deliverance ministries operate. I've watched these revivalists operate, my father, others, Brother Shambach, Brother Allen. I've watched it. And something will annoy my spirit and it'll annoy my faith and it'll annoy the anointing that's in me. And then I'll immediately I'll switch, not even knowing what it is, I will switch and begin to address it. Notice Paul was annoyed and that annoyance caused him to act. The Bible says, and he became greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit. So notice he did the same thing. When he felt that annoyance in his spirit, he turned and addressed it instantly. And the Bible says, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour, came out right then, came out right then. Powerful. The others, the demons stripped them and beat them and wounded them. For Paul, when he spoke to the spirit, it obeyed him immediately. Obeyed him immediately. There's a difference when you have impartation. There's a difference when you operate in that power. What did Paul have? Paul had the imparted Holy Spirit. And the demon had to obey. I was in Orlando, Florida preaching. And um, I was preaching on how you can't curse what God's blessed. And all of a sudden, I started to feel that annoyance in my spirit. Started to feel it. I got annoyed. And I didn't know why. And I started to preach against something I had never preached against in my entire life uh, ever. I don't even think I ever mentioned the word while preaching before. But I got annoyed in my spirit and I started preaching against something called Santeria, which is a form of witchcraft. And I started, having never done that before, I started mentioning it by name mocking it and preaching against it. Santeria can't hold you in a curse. Santeria can't bind you. It's got no power over your family, over your life. And out of nowhere, I just start preaching against it because I can feel something in my spirit and I'm annoyed by it. 
So I just went after it. Just like the Apostle Paul, becoming greatly annoyed in his spirit. Went after it. And I felt that, and I went after it. And all of a sudden, as I'm preaching on that, and just mocking it, and rebuking it, and talking about it, a couple stood up in the church and stormed out of the church. They stood up, and they stormed out. I thought they were just either had to go, or they were upset about something I had preached uh, you know, that day. So I asked the pastor afterwards. I said, what's the story? I saw, I saw that couple get up and leave. Were they offended? He said, oh no, they don't go to this church. He said, they're not Christians. He said, when I was building this church, he said, they came, they stopped in while we were building the church and they told me, this is our territory. He said, I didn't know what they were talking about. He said, I thought they were from another church. He said, they said, it's our territory. And then he, they revealed to him that they were, they practiced Santeria. And they said, we're going to curse you and you're, we're going to curse this church. It won't be around long. And he said, every now and then they'll stop back in and they'll, uh, you know, try to curse us <laughs> that in my spirit. I could feel that in my spirit. I became greatly annoyed, just like the apostle Paul, like the Bible says, I became greatly annoyed. Well, that's the, that's the Holy ghost. That's the gifts of the spirit in operation because I didn't know they practiced Santeria, but I started calling Santeria out immediately when I felt that annoyance and rebuked it. See, and then that, that thing, they couldn't stay. They had to go. Even the word, think about this, even the word drove them out of the building. Think about that. Two that had come to curse God's people, just the preaching of the word drove them physically out of the building. They could not stay. They could not stay. Drove them out. Okay, well the next day, we go to, and I'm not even gonna mention the restaurant because I'm already a little bit hungry being on this fast, but it's a wonderful one. And the pastor took us there and we were, we were eating lunch the next day, which was Monday after the Sunday services. And we're sitting there at the table and he gets a call from one of the guys in his church. And he said, pastor, I need to, I need to give you a testimony and I want you to share it with brother Ted. He said, what happened? He said, I came back to work today and he was, he worked in a warehouse and he said, um, my manager who works in this warehouse that manages all of us, he said, um, when I first started working here, my manager told me that I was not allowed to talk to any of the guys about Jesus, that I couldn't witness, I couldn't invite them to church, couldn't do any, any of that stuff. And he told me that specifically when I started working here. He said, but on the other hand, my manager practices Santeria. This is funny. He said, my manager practices Santeria. And he said, he would do just the opposite. He'd go around to all the guys and talk to them about Santeria and he would give them, you know, these little fake prophecies and all this stuff. And, and he said he would engage in Santeria and talk to them about it every day. And while I'm not allowed to talk to them about Jesus or the Bible or invite them to church. He said, after that service yesterday, I came back to work in the warehouse and the regional manager came in and, and heard this guy and how he was talking and fired him on the spot. Think about this. The regional manager came in the next day after that service. We took authority over Santeria, fired the man on the spot and then said, well, who has the most seniority in this warehouse? And it was the guy from his church. He said, he said, you have it. He said, you, you now have his job. 
and gave him the manager position and removed that other man that had been practicing Santeria. I'm just going to tell you, the word of God, the power of God drives these things out. It's important who you hang around. It's important not to go to a church that stands up in the pulpit and says stuff like, how many know we all, we all go through times of just defeat, but it's not about the fact that we fall down. It's about how many times we get up. Talk like that. How many know you're going to go through seasons where you just battle sickness for you know months and the Lord's teaching you something and you need to be open to understand what it is. Maybe he's correcting you. You don't need to go to a church like that that preaches false doctrine. It's important where you go to church. It's important who you have preaching into you and speaking into you and teaching you. It's important that you don't listen to that nonsense. It's important you, you don't go to a church. Like, well, the Holy Spirit, we're thankful for his presence, but you know, we don't need, we don't need to speak in tongues and we don't, need, we, don't need, we don't feel comfortable laying hands on you. If you need a touch, contact the office. We have a separate room where we bring people to minister to them privately. Don't go to a church like that. Why are you embarrassed of the moving of the Holy Ghost? Why are you embarrassed of speaking in tongues? There's churches that won't even allow it. They won't even allow it. And you're not supposed to forbid speaking in tongues. And you don't despise prophecies. And you don't neglect the, ordinance of the ordinances of the church like the laying on of hands. The Bible is clear. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church who will lay their hands upon them, anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Why would you neglect that verse as a leader? You don't need to go to a church that waters down the gospel. Amen. Don't, if you're in a church that's watering down the gospel and preaching false doctrine, get out and find a Holy Ghost church that's not ashamed of the truth. Amen. Why, why am I talking like this? Because it matters who's speaking into your life. It matters who you're receiving from. It matters. Don't go to some church that bashes the fact that God wants to bless you financially. I know a lot of these churches, a lot of these preachers talk about the prosperity gospel. We don't believe in that prosperity. All right, get out. Get out. Because they don't understand the Bible. God's a God of abundance. He's a God of increase. He's a God who promised to bless his faithful people. I've never, I've never preached the prosperity gospel. I've never stood by the prosperity gospel. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. That's your problem. That's your problem. That's why you have to raise money for everything instead of believing God for the increase, teaching your people what's right to do, what the Bible teaches, and watching the blessing come. That's why people are always doing capital campaigns. Just believe in, the, just teach and preach what the Bible says and watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Well, my board doesn't allow me to do that. That's the problem. You're run by a board of people which is unscriptural, thoroughly unscriptural. Jesus was not run by a board. The apostles were not run by a board. The early church was not run by a board. God raises up men and women who have the power of the Holy Ghost that are called to lead. There's nothing wrong with getting um, advice. There's nothing wrong with guidance. There's nothing wrong with having advisors. The Bible teaches that. But you don't put that to a vote. It'll be a, let me just tell you something. It'll be a cold day in hell before what we're able to do at Miracle Word Church is governed by 
the votes of people who have never run a ministry before. Cold day in hell. Well, I really felt my spirit, we were supposed to go in this direction, but the board, the board voted against it, so we're going to just put that on the back burner for now. It'll be a cold day in hell before Miracle Word Church is run by some group of people that have never run or pastored a church or run a ministry, and, and, and I get a word from the Lord about a direction that we're supposed to go as a church, and I, well, I'd like to present this to the board. What do you think about this? Do you think we should go in this direction? I don't care. If the Lord said we're doing it, we're doing it. So, well, that, you've put yourself in place for, uh, that, that's abuse of power. No, it's not abuse of power. It's called biblical leadership. Crack your Bible open at some point and read about biblical leadership. When did Jesus ever ask the disciples for approval for what he was going to do? Jesus ever asked us, I'd like to take a vote on this. Uh, what, do you th what do you think we should do, guys? These are guys that were falling asleep in the garden while they should have been praying they were sleeping. These are the guys that should have rebuked the storm themselves and they had to wake Jesus up so that he'd rebuke the storm for them. You think he's going to sit around and get their vote about what they should do next? In fact, one of the only times I can remember Jesus asking advice uh, from his disciples about what they should do, it's, it was only a test to see where they were. And it wasn't all of the disciples, it was just one. Listen to John 6. The Bible says that um, Jesus is getting ready to feed 5,000. And he, he wasn't doing this to get a vote on whether or not they should feed 5,000. He was checking out where one of his disciples was in faith. Look at this. Uh, John chapter 6 and verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that we, these people may eat? He didn't say, hey, I'd like to take a vote. Do you think it would be good to spend ministry finances to buy food for all these people? That's not what he's asking. He wants to see where Philip's faith is. And Philip said, oh, Lord, you know, if we worked for a month, we wouldn't have enough money to, to, to feed these people. Look at verse 6, John 6, 6. He only said this to test him, for he himself already knew what he would do. He already knew what he was going to do. He wasn't asking them for permission. And there's churches right now that are in trouble, as, as someone put in the comments, because of what, like, as, as uh, Pastor or Brother Jesse DePlantis would say, they're deacon-possessed. They're deacon-possessed. That's not a scriptural concept. If God said we're doing it, we're doing it. You can, you can get in, you can get out, or be run over. If God said we're moving there, we're moving. If God said we're transitioning, we're transitioning. <laughs> it's, like I'm, it's not like I'm making stuff up. If the Lord doesn't say it, say it, we're not doing it. Amen. And that's why it's important. It's important to have strong leaders around you for impartation, to know what's right and what's wrong, to know how you should proceed and how you should not proceed. One of the things that helps when you have the right leaders around you is that you see what you should do and see what you shouldn't do. See what you should do and see what you shouldn't do. What are we going to do? We want to emulate those that have obtained the promises of God. Hallelujah. We want to emulate the people that have obtained the promises of God. That's important. If I've seen them and it works, 
and they're manifesting God's power and his presence. They have fruit in their life. They have fruit in their ministry. That's who I'm going to emulate. I'm not going to emulate somebody that has no fruit in their ministry, no fruit in their life, and nor should you. This is why impartation is so powerful. You, you want never-ending breakthroughs? Find people that have never-ending breakthroughs. That's why I, I don't care how controversial the body of Christ thinks they are. I don't care. I don't care. Their fruit speaks for itself. Their integrity speaks for itself. Their teaching speaks for itself. That's why I follow the ministers that I follow. That's why I follow my father. He's not just my natural father. He's my spiritual father. He has the fruit. He has the integrity. He has the word that's being taught. That's why I follow men like Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. He has the fruit. He has the integrity. He has the word. Our pastor, Bishop Rick Thomas, he has the fruit. He has the integrity. He has the word. Bishop David Oyedepo, who I listen to constantly, he has the fruit. You know, you think when you have the largest church building in the world and building an even larger one, and you've got the largest congregation, you might know a thing or two. When you're seeing miraculous turnarounds, when you're seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, and you're averaging 2,000 salvations a Sunday, you might know something that others don't know. When like Pastor Adeboye, you have, you know, 4 million people in attendance, and you're seeing supernatural uh, church growth all over the world. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches planted all the time, paying cash for their facilities. You might know something that others don't know. You might know something that others don't know. You see Brother Kenneth Hagin, who went around the world. I mean, fruit beyond measure. Souls that have come in. People discipled. I mean, integrity. No scandal right? Still had the same wife in his 80s. I'm I'm following people like that. I'm not looking for something new and hip. I don't need something new and hip that's, you know, in a clinic in three months from now. I'm looking for people that have obtained the promises of God. If I want never-ending breakthroughs, I need to locate somebody who has never-ending breakthroughs. And so how are they doing it? They're obviously obeying the Bible. What does it look like? What does it look like? That's why the Apostle Paul said multiple times, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then when he couldn't be with churches that he wanted to be with, you know what he did? He said, I'm going to send my son Timothy, who's going to come teach you to live how I live. That's more impartation, right? What's, is that pride? No, he understood the principle. If you want to have the results I have, do what I do. Do what I do. Live like me. Imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That he understood that. He understood impartation. Let me give you this before we pray. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, we see this transition getting ready to take place where Elijah is getting ready to impart a double portion to Elisha. Elijah had eight miracles in his ministry. Elisha had 16, a double portion, a double portion. You know what's powerful? It looked like he was only going to have 15 miracles in his ministry, and then he died. Died with 15 miracles in his ministry, and they buried him. But then a day came 
that they threw a dead man on his bones. And the dead man came back to life, his 16th miracle, post-mortem. It's a double portion, just like he asked for. And we get to 2 Kings 2, very interesting. The Bible says, uh, he said, I want a double portion. Well, they, they were on a journey and they had just crossed the Jordan River. They had just crossed the Jordan River. How did they cross it? Elijah took his mantle and struck the water. And when he struck the water, the Bible says that the water parted and they walked across on dry ground. Get this, that was his last miracle of his life. Struck the water, it parted, and Elijah and Elisha walked across on dry ground. Well, then the chariot comes and the fire, Elijah's taken up into heaven. Get this now, he drops his mantle to Elisha, who had just asked for a double portion. He takes the mantle, walks back to the Jordan River, and says this, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And strikes the water. And it parted just like it did for Elijah. Get this thought in your spirit as we finish this, and I'm going to pray for you. Elijah's last miracle became Elisha's first miracle. What it took Elijah his whole ministry to get to, Elisha started his ministry with. Hallelujah. What it took Elijah his whole ministry to get to, Elisha started his ministry with. And when he came back across the Jordan, the other sons of the prophets saw him from far away. And they, they looked at him and said, surely the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. They could see it immediately. The power of impartation. You receive it through preaching and teaching. You receive it through serving and you receive it through the laying on of hands. You, you can receive it through sowing. I've done that. I've sown seed, not into a ministry, but into a man of God. Why? I'm believing for what he has. I'm believing for what he has. Believing. See, I honor. It's impossible. Watch this and, and get it in your spirit. You cannot receive impartation from someone you do not truly honor. And I don't mean honor with your mouth, but your heart is not in it. Now, I deal with that in the book further, faster. It's impossible to receive impartation from someone you do not honor. And part of that honor is seed sowing. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. I do it every single month. I bless men of God every single month. Personally, I want what they have. I want to honor them. I want to be in position to receive from them. Honor gives you access. Last thing I'll have you write in the comments today. Honor gives you access. Honor gives you access. Hallelujah. In fact, as I say that, let me, let me read this passage to you. Listen to this. This is a principle from 1 Samuel 2 and verse 30. 1 Samuel 2, 30. This is the honor gives you access principle. You ready for this verse? Maybe you've never seen this before. Write it in your notes. 
1 Samuel 2, 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Look at that. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And if you don't understand this principle, let me explain it to you. God feels the same way about his men and women. Same way. Touch not mine anointed one, do my prophets no harm. Touch not mine anointed one, do my prophet, prophets no harm. Can I give you this? When the woman honored Elisha by building a place on her house so that he had his own apartment any time he wanted to stop in, notice what happened. He said, we must do something for her. What can we do? And his servant said, the only thing she needs, she's unable to have children. He said, all right, God's going to open up your womb. You'll hold your child in your hand. What happened right there? What happened? She honored a man of God. She honored a man of God and by extension, God. And God, by his power, opened up her womb. Something that would not have happened had she not honored the man of God. That's why I honor men. I honor men of God. That's why, that's exactly why. It opens up uh, doors. It opens up doors. Honor gives you access. Honor gives you access. I sow seeds of honor. I'm encouraging you to do the same. I sow seeds of honor. I'm not telling you to do it to me. I'm telling you to honor. I don't care if it's your pastor. I don't care who it is. Whoever's pouring into your life, seeds of honor are powerful because honor gives you access. I do something for those that pour into my life every single month. I don't miss a month because honor gives me access. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for your people today. We're believing for never-ending breakthroughs. And Lord, I pray that this revelation of impartation would open their eyes to what is available in the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord. We don't have to start at the bottom. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to start from scratch, but we can receive wisdom and revelation and impartation that will take us further, faster, into a place of not trial and error, but we can walk in a place of instruction that will bring us breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough in Jesus' mighty name. I give you praise for that, Lord. I give you praise for what you're doing in the lives of your people. Put a fresh hunger in every one of us. Lord, as we fast and pray, let doors open up quickly. Let things come into our hands quickly by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let this be such a marvelous year that all we can do is laugh and shout. We call for constant praise breaks in Jesus' name to give you all the glory and the honor for only you can do these things. We thank you, Lord. Touch your people that are battling in their bodies with sickness and disease. Touch your people battling in their minds with depression and anxiety. Touch those that are battling addictions and set them free today, we ask you, Lord. Bring in souls that are lost, family members that are not serving you. Let this be the year that our families are saved. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for that. We give you praise for that. Lord, let the uh, property for Miracle Word Church quickly come in. Put it in our hands. We thank you that we'll move forward with momentum and force. No devil can stop it. Nothing can stop it. We thank you that we will not have delay. We will operate in momentum and we'll move forward quickly. 
in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. If you receive it, throw some hands up today. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.